Welcome to Petrifaction. I'm your host, Petey. And if you like stories about ghosts, monsters, vampires, the weird and mysterious, UFOs, Bigfoot, and other cryptids, you're in the right place. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Remember, friends, be prepared to be petrified. Hi everybody, this is Petey. Welcome to another show of Petrifaction Horror Stories. Today we have a great show for you. We're going to get into several stories, not just one. The main one, as titled, is about Walter Cronkite. Walter Cronkite was a premier famous broadcaster from the 1960s, 1970s. His career actually spanned several decades. He was a legend. If you look back at moon landing newsreels or stuff about the Vietnam War or Watergate, it's often Walter Cronkite you're going to find on those newscasts. So if you're too young to remember him, that's okay. You can actually look online and find some things to find out who he was. He was possibly our last truly unbiased news reporter. And... He was a no-nonsense kind of guy, so to hear that he actually had a UFO UFO experience or sighting is like kind of mind-blowing to me. I don't think of him as being um, into the fringy stuff, more or less. So anyway, we're going to get into that story today. We're also going to cover a couple of other stories about UFOs. One of them is the Berkshire UFO incident that happened in the late 60s. And this is a case where a whole town in New England, maybe not the whole town, but several different people in this town. It wasn't just like one family that witnessed this, that, you know, the UFO abducted them from their home. This is a case where there were multiple witnesses in multiple places that observed seeing this craft. And we're going to get into that case a little bit today. And we're going to end it with a story about former President Richard Nixon and Jackie Gleason. 
And supposedly the story goes that Jackie Gleason was really into paranormal things and had an interest in UFOs. And that Richard Nixon actually took him to Homestead Air Force Base and showed him bodies of aliens. So we'll get into that story. And we'll finish it off with a few celebrity ghost stories or paranormal stories like um, Keith Moon and Sylvia Plath. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. It's going to be a really good one, folks. This comes from the UFOcasebook.com, written by Bill Nell. Walter Cronkite's UFO Encounter. He is the news person that was there during some of the most history-making events of our century. From the JFK assassination to the first steps of human beings on the moon, Walter Cronkite was the reporter. He covered these and many, many other important events. As CBS Evening News anchor for many years, Cronkite became a part of many American families' lives as he brought us the news in a straightforward and fair manner. No matter how he felt personally, you never saw that during his broadcast. He did this all before cable TV became such a big part of Ewing. So for many, he was more than just a reporter. Walter Cronkite became a trusted friend of almost all who viewed his work. Despite the fact that he electronically entered millions of homes through television every single night of the week for many years, Cronkite was and is a very private person. We know little about his private life, and most things you read in that regard are merely guesses or hearsay. The fact that he managed to work in the network news business for so long without being involved in any scandals speaks volumes about his character. CBS was making a special documentary about the UFO phenomenon of 1973. By the early 70s, the UFO topic had reached a high point in popularity that had been building for over 25 years. Bookstores were filled with UFO books and magazines. CBS decided that the subject deserved a serious consideration and planned to look at it from the standpoint of witnesses with little or no editorial comment. For CBS to prepare a special program about UFOs during these times was not a decision made lightly. The network was at the height of its audience influence and everything they did was weighed literally by the whole world. After months of planning, Walter Cronkite was approached with the idea. Though the program was to be hosted by several CBS News reporters, Cronkite would do the interviews. By 1973, I had already been investigating UFOs for several years. I was presenting several seminars a month on the subject and had already been involved with the media. Although I hadn't written any books, Several articles I wrote were used by various new newspapers and magazines around the world. This 
came from Bill Nell. As it happened, Walter Cronkite had read a small piece that I wrote for a now-defunct UFO publication. The topic of the article was the Air Force cover-up of UFO information and a few cases I had investigated. Cronkite was making a list of people he wanted to interview for the CBS special, and the article interested him. In 1973, I received a letter from CBS News indicating their interest in my work. After a few phone calls, I was able to meet and speak with the man himself, Walter Cronkite. On a cool New York day in late September of 1973, I sat down and had an informal lunch with Walter Cronkite, and by then I'd learned not to be starstruck anymore. Because of my father's position as an officer in the Air Force, I'd met a lot of important people. Still, I was in awe of this great newsman, a news giant. The funny thing was that his manner was so gentle and laid back that within a few minutes, I was completely at ease. I guess that was his gift and the thing that made him such a successful news anchor. As we lunched, Cronkite told me about the TV special and indicated that he wanted to interview me. He wanted a younger person's perspective on the phenomenon. Most of the UFO researchers in these days were older and had taken up the topic as a retirement project. Cronkite was very interested in some of the Air Force stories I'd collected. He was especially interested in the fact that I'd grown up in an Air Force family as a person interested in researching UFOs. After about 30 minutes of talking, Cronkite said to me, Let me tell you my UFO story. And for the next five minutes, I sat in stunned silence as he told me what had happened. In the 50s, Cronkite was part of a pool of news reporters brought out to a small South Pacific island to watch the test of a new Air Force missile. After a short inspection of the new system by the reporters, they were led to an area that was a safe distance away from the launch site. The missile was mounted on a specifically built launcher that was attached to a cement base. It was obvious that the area had been quickly built just for the test. The details about the missile were going to be given to the reporters in the form of handout sheets and press releases after the test. Cronkite mentioned that he and other reporters had been warned that photography of the missile's test and any audio transmissions or recordings by the press were forbidden. They would have to give a written account of the event. Just as the test was ready to proceed, everyone was writing as fast as they could. As Air Force security personnel walked around the perimeter of the test area with guard dogs and the news reporters watched, the missile was fired up and about to be released. Just then, a large disc-shaped UFO appeared on the scene. Cronkite guessed that the object was about 50 to 60 feet in diameter, a dull gray color, and had no visible means of propulsion. 
because the noise of activity around him and the missile engine was so loud, he couldn't tell whether the disc made any noise. He did not notice any coming directly from the object. As Air Force guards ran toward the UFO with their dogs, the disc hovered about 30 feet off the ground. It suddenly sent a blue beam of light that struck the missile. A guard and a dog all at the same time. The missile was frozen in midair about 70 feet from the launcher as it had taken off. A guard was frozen in mid-step and a dog frozen in mid-air as it had jumped at the disc. Cronkite reminded me that this all happened within the space of about five minutes or less. Suddenly, the missile exploded. After that, the disc vanished. The guard and dog looked all right, but were quickly taken away by medical personnel, always present at tests in case anyone became injured. At the same time, guards rapidly ushered the reporters into a concrete observation bunker. After about 30 minutes of sitting in that hot box, they were brought out into the air again and addressed by an Air Force colonel. This officer told the reporters, It's all part of the test. Obviously, making it up as he went along, the colonel said that the event was staged to test media reaction to UFOs. He reinforced the usual line to the reporters that flying saucers were probably not extraterrestrial, but that people were actually seeing secret planes being tested by the Air Force. This test was designed to show the media how shocking it would be to suddenly view a new technology. Well, Cronkite was certain that what he viewed was a new technology, but he was also sure it was not an earthly one. He didn't believe the Air Force explanation then, and he doesn't believe it at the time he told the story to me. After the event, reporters were told that since it was a test of media reaction to new technology, they could not report on it. They would be compensated later with exclu exclusive stories on new Air Force projects. By the way, it was a promise that they never kept. Being as private as he was, Cronkite never did share the story with others, nor did he share his own beliefs about UFOs beyond the story that he told. I was so happy to have heard the story that I was afraid to ask anything further. The CBS UFO special was filmed shortly after my meeting with Cronkite, and I was included in it for just a few minutes. During the filming, I became aware that Cronkite had not shared his story with most of the other UFO investigators or witnesses. After the special aired, I called one of Cronkite's staff members and asked him if he had ever heard the UFO story. He told me he had. Cronkite had only shared it with a few key people, and it was not covered or even mentioned in the special. I wondered why Cronkite had chosen to tell me the story without telling everyone. The staff members told me that most of the others who were so busy telling him about themselves that he just never bothered. 
I guess that the greatest lesson the legendary newsman taught me that day was the art of conversation. Other celebrities to witness UFO sightings include actor Russell Crowe, claiming he had once seen spaceships fly past his Australia office while trying to film fruit bats in his garden with a Canon 5D camera. The UFO sped by as glowing red streaks of light, moving left to right. Crow posted his sightings online, however, most viewers were skeptical. In 1974, in New York, John Lennon saw a cone-shaped disc emitting red light near the horizon. When it seemed to fly in his direction, he called for assistant May Pang. They watched the craft a few moments before it flew off. Lennon estimated that the UFO was the size of a Learjet. It returned later that same day with a row or circle of white lights that ran around the entire rim of the craft. The local newspaper ran the story, informing Lennon that at least seven other people reported seeing it around the same time. Lennon later drew the sighting for the cover of his Walls and Bridges LP. Johnny Cash became one of the most famous country music stars in America and quite possibly the world. Known as the Man in Black, he changed the face of music and became a voice to which everyone could relate. However, Cash fought much adversity to become that icon, and at one time he thought that his life was not worth living. He even claimed that he would be dead if it were not for the hand of God. In 1967, Johnny Cash left his home in Hendersonville, Tennessee, and drove to a cave he knew of in Chattanooga called Nickajack Cave. For several years, Cash had been abusing drugs and alcohol, causing his career to fall apart. Planning to die in the cave, he crawled inside its deepest parts. Just as he was about to give up, something happened. I felt something very powerful, a sensation of utter peace, clarity, and sobriety. I couldn't understand it, he later recalled. Soon after, Cash began to receive guidance through the darkness of the cave. Eventually, he managed to not only escape, but to live on for several decades and achieve further success. Later, a dam was built which flooded Nickajack Cave so that it could no longer be accessed. Although Cash continued to fluctuate between sobriety and addiction, he never changed his story about feeling something seemingly impossible inside Nickajack Cave.
Today's coffee soundbite comes to you from LegacyBrewing.shop. Go to LegacyBrewing.shop today. Try them out. Get a 10% discount on orders when you enter podcast in the code part. 1969, the Berkshires experienced a UFO wave. It involved several witnesses, and this is the story of the Berkshire UFO incident that shocked an entire town. Numerous residents of Berkshire County, Massachusetts, individually reporting having seen a UFO on September 1st of 1969. The authorities had no explanation, and it wasn't a single sighting, but it was multitudes of the sightings that happened in Berkshire County, Massachusetts on that day. On the evening in question, residents spotted lights above Sheffield in the southern Berkshires. Many of the witnesses said that the lights were fitted to an unidentified disc-shaped craft that was maneuvering in unpredictable ways. Some witnesses claimed that they lost time. Thomas Reed was one of the witnesses. He was just nine years old at the time. He was in the car with his mother and brother and a grandmother. And the family noticed a group of orbs flashing out of the roadside trees. And Reed claimed claimed that uh, something astounding had happened. Uh, His family had been heading home from a restaurant that they owned in town. And they came to the came to stop off the right side of the road. And so they come to the edge of the road just to look at these lights. And uh, he said that everything got really calm. It was like being in the eye of a hurricane, is how he described it, including like a barometric change, which is the first time I've heard something like that with a UFO, UFO incident. But he said that it was just like dead silence. And then there was an eruption of crickets and frogs and it got really loud, which is all weird. The family suddenly found themselves back inside their car and found also that they had inexplicably lost about two hours of time. Stranger still, Reed's mother had been in the driver's seat and somehow... His grandmother and mother switched sides, and the grandmother was now driving. The Reeds weren't the only people to have reported something that evening. There were dozens of people who reported witnessing a UFO in the Sheffield area that night. There were adults who called the local radio station to report the sightings. Also, some children drew pictures of their UFO sighting at the Sheffield Center School. There were 20 or 30 sketches minimum from a fourth grade classroom that they had hung on the class board. Now that's quite a bit of drawings. So there were a lot of sightings. So it was families upon families seeing these lights. There was another witness named Tom Warner who said that he missed several minutes after a beam of light hit him. He claimed that he'd seen a young girl named Melanie boarding a UFO. She was 14 at the time. 
Later, Melanie interviewed, remember seeing the Reed family aboard ship because she felt as if she had been abducted as well. We encountered something, said Reed. It was definitely not of this world. This hangar thing we were in was huge. It was larger than a football field. The hallway was circular with a Y configuration, almost to control the flow of traffic. This one room had a Bowden wall that was rounded. In 1973, famed veteran comic Jackie Gleason claimed to have had a most unusual and exasperating experience. According to his second wife, Beverly, Gleason told her of a top-secret tour by Richard Nixon, where Gleason was shown corpses of extraterrestrials. Gleason, who owned an estate in Florida near the Nixon vacation home, was one of Nixon's golfing partners. They'd become close friends, apparently close enough for Nixon to divulge top secrets to Gleason. Gleason, who had achieved fame from his role in the Honeymooners, was extremely interested in the paranormal and the unexplained. According to Beverly, he was taken to Homestead Air Force Base, where Nixon showed aliens to Gleason. These aliens were described by him as two feet long with large skulls. After he was done, Gleason returned to his wife in a panic. He told a story to her but made her swear to secrecy because it could possibly damage his reputation. She claimed that he was haggard and noticeably disturbed. They divorced later. Beverly wrote about the incident in an unpublished memoir and had no qualms about reporting it. However, Jackie Gleason was quiet about his paranormal interests and never divulged the UFO story during his lifetime. In 1976, Keith Moon's hijinks were creating considerable friction between him and the other members of The Who. So they forced him to seek help from a Scottish doctor, Meg Patterson. Patterson had helped Eric Clapton quit heroin. So The Who figured if anyone could help Moon, it was Patterson. When Moon met with Patterson, they began to discuss his addictions and his behavior. According to her, it wasn't medical treatment that he needed, but divine intervention. She feared that Moon had unwittingly become possessed by a demon. According to Moon, the demon was actually two entities. They determined that Moon's heavy drug and alcohol abuse had allowed the spirits to invade his soul. He had first invited them in with his drumming, and then they began to take over his personality, creating two distinct entities. On one hand, Moon was the same person he had always been, but on the other, he was drunken and destructive with a more violent personality and numerous addictions. 
ultimately no help could save Moon as he died in 1978 of drug-related causes. Whether he was actually possessed or not is really unanswerable. But you can agree with one thing, Keith Moon was one of a kind. Sylvia Plath was a talented but tragic individual who lived most of her life with crushing depression. She wrote some of the 20th century's finest poetry along with her novel The Bell Jar. In 1963, her life was cut short when she killed herself by sticking her head in a gas oven. She was only 30. To many, this would be nothing more than an open and shut case of an intelligent but disturbed individual committing suicide. But according to L. Alvarez, a poetry editor and friend of Plath and her husband, writer Ted Hughes, dark forces were amiss. Alvarez claimed that while Plath was always talented, it took dark rituals by Ted Hughes to unlock her talents. This also caused Plath considerable mental anguish, which ultimately led to her suicide. Plath was a typical educated middle-class American who would have had a hard time believing in occultism, but Ted Hughes apparently felt differently, claiming that they had used Ouija boards and read astrology together. Alvarez claims that Hughes hypnotized Plath to aid with the birth of their first child. Using recovered memories, Hughes unlocked Plath's talent for poetry and her inner demons, which ultimately drove her to suicide. As incredible as it sounds, Alvarez claims may not be far from the truth. A psychological profile that assessed Plath's mental state revealed a long-time interest in the paranormal. Upon entering Hughes' family home for the first time, Plath claimed to have felt feelings of jealousy and forces of witchcraft and black magic. Ted Hughes, a believer in Celtic mythology, wanted to equal William Butler Yeats, another prominent literary figure who was interested in the occult. That's all for today's podcast. I thank you for tuning in and I hope you liked the show. If you did, please tell a friend, give us a rating, and hit subscribe. If you have a story you would like to share on Petrifaction, you can contact me at pd at petrifaction at protonmail.com. And remember to check out today's show notes for more information on today's stories. Please return next time to hear more stories and friends be prepared to be petrified. <laughs>